For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's our theme verse from Galatians 5, verse 1 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Family Pastor J.C. Thompson will begin a two-week mini-series called Freedom. This week's episode is titled Freedom from Sin. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org watch or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. Well, Happy New Year. Y'all doing all right today? Maybe. My name is uh, JC. I'm the family pastor here, and I am starting a new, very small, very tiny two-week series um, today entitled Freedom. And, you know, as I, as I think about, you know, we plan these months in advance, and so sometimes you go, what in the world? Uh, when you're planning, you go, what, what is God really doing? What's he saying? And so um, this has been on my heart for a long time. And I'm, I'm thankful to be at the place where I have a little bit of time to prepare and study because I need it. Uh, and so when I get to these series, uh, usually it comes out of just questions I've got, trying to, to ascertain what the Bible says, what God teaches us about um, these things. And last year, there were some words that got thrown around, in, in my opinion, kind of flippantly, um, haphazardly. Uh, sometimes we say words and then afterwards we realize we probably didn't know what that meant. We probably didn't think about it. And the Bible speaks very specifically about some of these words. And the words were freedom and the words were rights. And for me, when I, when I think about those words, freedom, you know, these are cliche pieces, but when we say them, do we understand what they mean? Freedom isn't free. There's a price associated with it. And for us to throw something around like that, like I have the freedom to do blank. I have the right to do blank. Knowing that freedom isn't free, I sure hope that when we talk about things like our freedoms and our rights, we're not just throwing them all, all around willy-nilly. Like we're not just saying these words and phrases, not understanding that we do have freedom. We have true freedom available to us through Christ, but that freedom came at a price. And so for me, I've, I've just been, this has been weighing on me this past year. What does it mean to be free? And what does that look like? And this is something that is also distinct for us based on where we live. And so the way that we view freedom may be different than the way someone views freedom in, say, China or Africa or India. And so how much of that is based on us as Americans and the way that we view freedom and how much of that is really based on what we should feel freedom is as a follower of Jesus Christ? And we must understand the differences between those things because if not, we may be tempted to utilize our freedom in a way that is not becoming of a follower of Christ. And so that's what we're talking about in these next two weeks. And today, in particular, this, I hope, is an uplifting time for you. I hope this is encouraging because the freedom that we have as a follower of Christ, means freedom from sin. 
freedom from sin. Galatians 5.1, this is where we'll be launching from today. This verse is the foundation of all that we'll be talking about today. And it just says this. It just says in Galatians 5.1, so Christ... So Christ has truly set us free. Another translation says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. In other words, God desires for us to be free. I want you to just take a moment and think about, do you think that God wants you to be free? When you think about your relationship and connection with God, do you characterize it based on freedom and how much wiggle room there is and to live, live life in the way that God intended you to live or do you feel like there's such constraint maybe that God is withholding something from you that God is somehow punishing you is that the way you view your relationship with God do you think that Christ came to give you freedom And then it continues to say this, stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Which just means that our freedom is worth standing for. Our freedom is worth being intentional about. Our freedom should be something that we're so aware of that we realize there are other people, there are other places, and there is an enemy who desires to take that freedom away from us. And we must stand firm. It's important for us to understand that. Because Satan does not want us to live a life of freedom. No, he wants to use your life for his benefit. And if you're not careful, that's exactly what you'll do. And so Paul challenges us to place our feet in a situation to where our freedom is something that we stand firm in because it was paid for by Christ. So, Paul gives us here in this verse both an affirmative action and also sort of a defensive action, something to do and also something to avoid. We should make sure that we understand that we are free, that Christ desires for us to be free, and that we should stand firm for that, and we should also make sure that we do not become enslaved to anything else that would take away our freedom, the freedom that is available to, to us in Christ. But what freedom is Paul discussing? What is he saying we are free from? Well, the Greek word for freedom here uh, is just this word. It is eleutheria, eleutheria. And it simply means that Christ did not bring us out of bondage to be in bondage to something else, that we are truly, completely, wholly free. And this is such an important thing to understand because in Greek culture, you would have set a slave free, but you wouldn't have set them free. You would have paid their freedom in order for them to be your slave. But what they would have claimed is that you now belong to a God. And what Paul is saying here is that is not the freedom that Christ is talking about. 
Christ is setting us free to live as God truly intended us to live from the very beginning. But if Christ came to set us free, that also means that before Christ, before we're changed, before we're changed by the faith that we place in Christ's work alone, that means that we're not free before that. And so I want us to make sure that we understand what does it mean to be free from sin? What does it mean to be free from sin? And I think it means three things uh, today. If you've got your outline, if you're following along on your phone, um, we'll, we'll be talking about these three things. First of all, we're free from sin's power. We're free from sin's power. See, when God made human beings, he made us free. If you remember back to the story in Genesis when he made Adam and Eve, the scriptures say that they were naked and unafraid. They were free. There were no thoughts of how their actions were going to move them into a place. They didn't have to think about their motivations. They didn't think about anything other than the fact that they could enjoy the life that God had given to them. And that life that God gave to them, he called them to do something. He didn't just say, hey, just be. No, he said, be fruitful and multiply. They had responsibility to tend the garden, to cultivate it, to grow it, and to also grow their family, the family that God had provided. However, Adam sinned. And sin entered into the world, throwing the world into a tailspin. It entered through one's, one man's sin, and it caused consequences that we still deal with today. Now, before you move too quick and you go, man, Adam really stinks, and if I see him, I'm going to be real frustrated. See, when the Scripture talks about one man's sin cursing the whole world, what it means is if you were in Adam's spot, you would have done the same thing. It, it's not placing all of the blame on Adam, although he was our representative. It's just saying that all of us, literally every one of us, would have found a way for our selfish motivations to do exactly what Adam did, and that's rebel against God who had given us total freedom. Selfishness, sickness, disease, hatred, and death, all of those result of sin entering into the world. Sin haunts the world. And yet, as negative as all those things are, we can't stop doing the things that kill us. We are enslaved to the power of sin. John 8, 34 describes it this way. Jesus replied to them, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Jesus says later on in that same gospel that we cannot serve two masters. He's speaking specifically there of wealth and greed. You can't serve Jesus and you can't serve the purpose that money tells you that it offers you. But in general terms, we cannot serve both Christ and sin. We do not desire the same things that God desires as human beings. We desire the things that we think, based on our knowledge, based on our experience, are the best things that we can have. And yet, even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of being enslaved, there's a little light that breaks through that tells us, you know, 
I don't think that life should be this way. Like, I don't think I should be overpowered by sin. I don't think that I should just be given to lack of control when I get angry. I, I just don't believe that it's all about me. Like, life can't just be about these things. And some of us know that choosing to do the wrong thing is the wrong thing, but it doesn't seem like we can choose the right thing to do. Our hearts seem to be against us. We are, as the Bible calls us, under the power of sin. And it's not just us as human beings, but all of creation is under sin and its power. It's the reason why we have to fertilize our grass. It's the reason why we have to put extra mulch onto the plants as it starts to get cold. It's why we need to be concerned if it's raining or sunny outside because even our food is being affected by sin in this world. In fact, the scriptures describe it as creation groaning out for that day that Jesus comes back. Because not only are we under the power of sin, but this entire world is. If we're not careful, we'll forget that even this last year, as we struggled through what the world looks like during a disease that is everywhere, we will forget this is because of sin's effect on the world. See, creation is waiting for Christ to come again and rid us of the presence of sin. But until then, we are under its power and we wait just as creation does for Christ's return. But if you're a follower of Christ, you also know that you don't just have to wait, that there is a present reality of you being free from the power of sin that you get to live in today. Romans 6 describes it this way. Paul says, thank God. Once you were slaves of sin, but now you wholeheartedly obey this teaching that we have given to you. You are free from your slavery to sin and you have become slaves to righteous living. Through Christ, we are free. Through faith, we become a new creature with new desires. We desire not to serve our flesh, but instead to serve Christ and to serve the people around us. There's a new power that is driving us and it's not the power from sin, it's the opportunity to serve our Savior who has given us so much and live according to his teachings. But JC, when you read that verse, it said we're not slaves to sin anymore, but we're slaves to righteousness. That still sounds like slavery. It doesn't sound like freedom. Well, two things. I just want to always come back to this because it's important to understand. Scriptures are pretty clear that until the Spirit reveals something to you, it's confusing and even foolishness. So just remember always that if the Scripture says something is true and we have to figure out why our minds don't understand that it's true. So we have to start there, okay? But two things I just want to mention. If you don't want to serve Christ, you probably don't have true faith. I'm gonna say that again. If you don't want to serve the Savior who came to earth on your behalf, humbling himself, as the scripture says, giving up his divine privileges to become a human being 
whose body would have been affected by sin. He would have seen sickness and struggle. He would have felt emotions in the way that humanity feels emotions. He would have been tempted in any way that we would have been tempted as a human being. And yet, being other than human, being God incarnate, he looked at our suffering and rather stick up his nose at us. He showed compassion towards us, serving us obediently 33 years on this planet and then ultimately giving his life, knowing he had done nothing wrong, knowing that he had come to the earth humbly on our behalf, tortured and died for our sin in our place. If that doesn't motivate you to serve him, you don't have true faith. See, our Savior is a worthy Savior to serve. And the scriptures say that any true follower of Christ voluntarily places themselves under his leadership and they give themselves to his service. And so if you hear that verse and you go, freedom to Christ, I, I, that, I mean, it doesn't sound like freedom, that sounds like slavery. I would just say, you, you need to figure out why that's not slavery, why that is freedom. But to the world, it may look like slavery. And if you're struggling with that, let me just tell you, you need to be weary of saying that you are a follower of Christ. Because when we think about our Savior, our hearts should be warm towards him, not cold and shut off. Here's a question for you. Do you find yourself fighting against the power of sin in your life? Would you describe your life as a life of freedom? Or would you say that sin still has its grasp on you? Are you experiencing the power, the opportunity of service with Christ. Second, we are free from sin, sin's penalty. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. The wages of sin is death. See, I like this picture because I don't know if you're like me, but I, I look forward to payday. I like payday. I've worked, and so I like seeing that paycheck. I've, I've put my time and effort in, and I like seeing it. I've liked seeing it since I was a teenager. I thoroughly enjoy payday. You know, no, it doesn't matter how much older I get, I still like payday. But could you imagine every two weeks or every two week looking into your bank account and the only wages that you have are not something added to your account, but instead just telling you, you will never pay this debt. Imagine every payday that there is a negative balance that gets added to your account. That is what sin does. See, what it does is it tells you all week long, hey, 
This is great. You're working so hard. You're doing so good. You're gonna improve yourself. This is so good. And you slave away, right? And you're working hard. But then when pay time comes, you look and you go, that's negative. It feels like everything I was told this week was that I was gonna earn something. And yet, you never get out of that debt. The consequences of sin is death. Now we talk about eternal death and that is true, eternal separation from God. But sin is also continual present death. It's death today. It was death yesterday. It will be death tomorrow. And ultimately that death is eternal separation from God. What does that mean? You know, Perry talks about the fire and you know, it's probably, it, it's probably figurative, right? That it's describing the pain that maybe we wouldn't be able to, maybe it's describing regret. You know, a picture that I would tell kids and teenagers is just this. You ever been on like a rainy day where it's rained like three or four days in a row and then that sunshine breaks through and you just go, you know what? It's not gonna rain forever. It's gonna be better. Well, that never happens if you die apart from Christ. There's never a moment when you look and feel and understand that it's going to get better. For the rest of eternity, you will walk outside and it will be bad. There is no sunshine. There is no cool breeze to relieve you from the summer heat. It is always and forever separated from any grace that God gives to us. No hope. Burdens that grow heavier and heavier with no relief in sight. That is what the consequences of our sin truly are. Yet, Christ presents us a better way. God compassionately saw our plight. And together with the Son's service to become a human being and the Spirit's empowering of Jesus' obedience here on the earth, he gave the offer to us to receive hope, relief, and ultimately payment for the sin that we deserve. And that offer doesn't just come with temporary relief. No, it comes with eternal life, with a body that is rid of any pain and suffering, completely free from the consequences and the presence of sin. That's the offer that Christ makes to us. If that seems to be too good to be true, that's because it is. It's true and it is too good. Every time we think about the sacrifice of Christ, if our hearts don't start with, this is too good, we have more work to do in understanding what it truly means. It is too good. It will never become not too good. It's the complete opposite of eternal separation from God. Every day you get to walk outside and realize everything about my life that I have ever done wrong is completely forgiven through Christ. 
And not just I'm at a net zero, but instead when God looks at me, he looks at me as if I am Jesus. He looks at me as if what Jesus did is what I have done. We're not just neutral. We are free and good and at peace because of what Christ has done. My favorite children's Bible says it in this way. The Bible is a story of God's never ending, never stopping, always and forever love. That is God's love for us. Ephesians 1, 7 describes it like this. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave us our sins. Through the blood of Christ, we are no longer serving the life sentence of sin, but instead receive an eternal inheritance with a down payment of the fruit of the Spirit. We are free. Let me ask you this. As you live your life and think about how you're supposed to relate to God and others, are you constantly trying to repay the debt that you owe? Are you hoping that if you do enough good things that not only other people will look at you in a different way, but that God will look at you in a different way? That's not the proper motivation for a follower of Jesus. We are free. And no matter how many righteous acts you do, if you don't receive that gift from Christ, it will never be enough. The third thing that we are free from is sin's parenting. Now, that may seem weird at first. I hope it does, because I think it's something that we don't talk enough about. See, when we, we talk about, we kind of throw around this word, we're the children of God, and we are. Scripture says that we are. If we've trusted our life to Christ and Christ has changed us through sacrifice on the cross and given us his spirit, if we're truly a follower of Christ, we are children of God. But that means before we're children of God, we're somebody else's child. We're children of the enemy. This is crucial for us to understand because we know, Perry has taught us so well in this, but we know the way that we view our parents is the way that we view God. What would it mean to be children of the devil? of Satan himself. John 8, 44 describes us in that way. For you are the children of your father, the devil, and you love to do the evil things that he does. Why? Because naturally in us is an inclination to make our father proud. And when you look at children, they look like their parents. See, the scriptures here are not just declaring a relationship. They're not just saying like, hey, this is a, a way to describe what is happening. No, they're saying that as a child of the devil, you do what he wants you to do. And in the case of Satan being your dad, 
You serve his desires. And what are his desires? What are his goals? What are his purposes? It's to do whatever it takes to thwart the kingdom of God. And if you're not a follower of Christ in here, that is what you're doing. Satan does not do things for your benefit. He does nothing for you. This phrase is one of the most important phrases in all of Scripture. And it's this phrase, adoption. Now we hear in church a lot about justification, that we are declared righteous because of Christ's sacrifice. We also hear about sanctification, that when we become justified, we exert our effort empowered by the Holy Spirit to obey the commands of Christ. And when we do that, we become more like Christ. But this word adoption, I think, is one that is neglected. We take on the name of God, we're given his spirit, we're given his inheritance, and we serve the family purposes of the family of God. Genesis 15 tells us what those family purposes are. God promised to Abraham through a covenant with him that he would have so many offspring and those offspring would be blessed. And not only would they be blessed, but they would be a blessing to the entire world. We are that family as followers of Jesus. We are to be blessed so that we can bless the world. We take on the name of Christ. We get written into his will. And God, our Father, does things that are best for us because he is a good good father. Our new family doesn't just change our relationship to God, but it changes our relationship with all creation because we move from a child who is doing the desires of a father who only want to thwart all of the world, only want to make God's kingdom stop to a father who wants to bless all of the world, who wants to bring peace and love, and joy, and justice. And he gives us his spirit, and that spirit is given to us. It becomes our confirmation, our affirmation that we are children of God, according to Romans 8. And we await to realize that sonship fully, even further when Christ comes again. Adoption signifies that we were not born into the family of God, but God grants us admission into his family. Adoption shows us that God chose us. And he chose us willingly. And he paid the price for our name to change. Regeneration lets us know that we have new life. Adoption shows us that we have new privileges that were given to us through grace. This sonship also changes the way that we relate to sin. 
Before, sin separated us from God. Now God uses the sin in our lives to discipline us lovingly so that we grow into more intimacy with him, that we become honest with our sin. We don't try and hide it or deceive ourselves or others. We become honest and we go straight to God with our sin and we let him know that we have rebelled, we have disobeyed, we have failed. God, please forgive us. And God turns us, points us towards the cross, points us towards the grace that's available to us and lovingly brings us into his care. That's the privilege of a son of God. It's the picture of the prodigal son who wanted all the privileges of being a son of his father only so he could use them for his own benefit. And he wasted them all away. And when he's coming back, you can just see this picture of this conversation he's having with himself. You know, maybe if I come in and just say, hey, I'll be, I'll be one of your servants. I'll, I'll be your slave. Just, just let me clean the bathrooms. Let me, let me wash the towels. Let me take care of something, dad. Just let me be in your house again. And we see the character of God as he is out on the front porch waiting for the day that his son comes back to him. And when he sees him, he sprints towards him. The love of a father who is happy to see his son return. But we also get a picture of the older son who is so mad that someone would, else would experience freedom after they've wasted his father's inheritance. And the father says, everything I have is yours. What did I not give to you? What did I not make available to you? See, there's a difference between a son who understands his father's love and a son who is trying to earn his father's affection. And in our case, we know that the Father's love for us is pure and perfect. So we have to look at ourselves and be honest with us and God and ask ourselves the question, do I truly believe that I have the Father's love? Do I really believe that God is my father. Or am I punching my ticket every day to try and earn his love when he has freely given it to you? 1 John 3, 9 and 10 says this, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. So when someone tells you, God doesn't care if you sin, all God is is love. That's not true. When someone tells you that 
hey, it doesn't really matter if you lie. It doesn't really matter if you steal. God will forgive you. That's not the true story. Will God forgive you? Yes. But have you accepted his forgiveness if you continue to sin? No. When we habitually take on choices to sin, to deceive, to make ourselves look good, Scripture says we do not belong to God. But when God changes us through faith and we begin to live lives of righteousness, God's name becomes our name. We become a part of the family of God and we are free. Are you a child of the King? You, you know one of the things that both drives me crazy and I love? If you ever see my children in these hallways, do you know what they're doing? They are running as fast as humanly possible. They are not thinking about any consequences for their running. There's a wonderful part about that because they feel like, you know what, this is their place. It's okay, it's okay to be here and run. It terrifies me as a human being and as their father because they're gonna run into someone. They're gonna hurt something. They're going to break something. but they are not thinking a second other than it's okay for me to run here. When we look at our lives, do we see the freedom that God has offered to us? Or do we see some other picture of the life that God has told us is available to us? Are we living in the freedom of God? Today, if you've got your elements, you can take those out. If you're at home, Please get your elements out. If you did not receive any elements, if you will raise your hand and someone can bring those to you, please raise them high, maybe wave, maybe do a little dance, any of those things. Today, we get to do something that has been a church practice for a very long time. And it's called the Lord's Supper. See, the Lord's Supper is one of the sacraments of the church, one of the practices of the church. It was given to us by God to strengthen the faith of the children of God, reminding them of Christ's work on the cross through the sacrifice of his body and his blood on our behalf. Today, and I'll lead you through, okay, but today, I want you to just take a moment. As you've heard about 
what it means to be free from sin. If you are a child of God, this practice is for you. And I just want you to take a moment right now. We're gonna be quiet and we are going to reflect on Christ's work. Christ's work in our lives. Christ's work for the world. And if there's any unconfessed sin that has kept you from being in right relationship to God as his child, this is your opportunity to share that with him, to become honest with your sin and to express your appreciation for his sacrifice and provision in your life. If there's a human relationship in your life that is not right, whether it be between you and a parent, you and a spouse, you and someone else, scripture leads us to not partake in the Lord's Supper, but instead to leave our gift at the altar and to go and make that relationship right. So I'll just challenge you, if that's you, you're free to go leave and repair that relationship. But we're gonna take a moment and we're gonna be with God, thanking him for what he's done, being honest with our sin and receiving his grace. And then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Let's pray. God, we don't take these elements casually. And we also don't take them formally. But we do take them intentionally. We thank you that we are free from sin's power. We are free from sin's penalty. And we are free from sin's parenting. And we thank you that through your son, Jesus, we have freedom. So God, grow us as we take these elements, as we're reminded of the sacrifice of Jesus, we pray that you'll grow us in standing firm that we are not slaves to sin. And God, help us as other people want to enslave us, to be reminded that because of your body, because of your blood shed for us, we're free. And if there's someone in here who today, after your word being shared, feels that they are not free, that they're under the power of sin and without God's grace entering into their life, they have no hope. I pray that they'd give their life to you. And God, after we take these elements, God, we'll, we'll have care volunteers down front to be able to speak with them, to share with them the good news of Jesus Christ. And then I pray that you'll, you'll change their name forever. God, any sin that we have not confessed, we confess to you. It's with joy that we partake in the Lord's Supper. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray these things. Amen.
You could take out your elements, starting with the bread. If you're like me, that little cellophane sticker coming off is a joyful sound. Scripture says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 24. It says this, For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night that he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it. And he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. Take the bread. Right, you can take your cup out. First Corinthians chapter 11, verse 25 says this, in the same way he took the cup of wine after supper saying this cup is the new covenant, the new agreement, the new relationship, the new standing that we have as children of God This new covenant is between God and his people. An agreement confirmed with my blood, the blood of Christ. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Drink the cup. Scripture continues to say this, for every time you eat this bread and every time you drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Let me challenge you, make not only the most of this new year, but also today. If you need to speak to someone about your relationship with Christ, if there's a struggle that you need us to pray about, if there's a disease that you need healing from, we ask you to come down front as our care volunteers come, speak with one of them or one of our pastors, allow them to pray for you and share Christ with you. Let's pray. God, I am so thankful to be your child. As a dad who has had the privilege to adopt a child, I am so thankful that you have adopted me. And God, I pray and ask that if there is someone in here who does not know you as their father, that they would come to know that truth today. God, as you send us out today from this place, being built up through your word and your spirit, allow us to serve those in our midst, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them, announcing that Jesus Christ will come again, and that we would make the most, cultivate and grow the kingdom of God by obeying what you ask us to do. Thank you for giving us that freedom. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are able to pray these things. And all God's people said, amen. Have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you are truly free. Here's this week's spiritual practice. Read Galatians 5.1 and ask God to show you areas of your life that you may be displaying slavery to something other than Jesus. Confess that to God and experience the freedom of being forgiven through Christ Jesus. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. 
One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our connections team. Thank you for listening. Have a great week and Happy New Year.